so we begin week 47 at day 323 again if you have any questions or queries just get in touch with me uh, but we begin today at Acts chapter 11 verse 19 we go through to chapter 12 verse 2 and then we begin the book of James we read Acts chapter 11 verse 19 those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch speaking the message to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, Cypriot and Cyrenian men, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Hellenists, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Then the report about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. In those days some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the time of Claudius. So each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers who lived in Judea. This they did, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. About that time, King Herod cruelly attacked some who belonged to the church, and he killed James, John's brother, with the sword. Then we read James chapter 1, verse 1. Through to chapter 3, verse 18. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and without criticising, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. An indecisive man is unstable in all his ways. The brother of humble circumstances should boast in his exaltation, but the one who is rich should boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and dries up the grass. Its flowers fall off and its beautiful appearance is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is a man who endures trials, because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that he has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, for God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dearly loved brothers. Every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. With him there is no variation or shadow cast by turning. By his own choice he gave us a new birth by the message of truth, so that we would be the first fruits of his creatures. My dearly loved brothers, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear, 
slow to speak and slow to anger, for man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil excess, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away and right away forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who acts, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious, without controlling his tongue but deceiving his heart, his religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. My brothers, hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ without showing favouritism. For suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, dressed in fine clothes, and a poor man dressed in dirty clothes also comes in. If you look with favour on the man wearing the fine clothes, so that you say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor man, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you dishonoured that poor man. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Don't they blaspheme the noble name that you bear? If you really carry out the royal law prescribed in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show favouritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law, yet fails in one point, is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you are a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who hasn't shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can his faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith from my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. Foolish man, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works and by works faith was perfected. So the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man who is able to control his whole body. Now when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we also guide the whole animal, and consider ships, 
Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how large a forest a small fire ignites, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is set on fire by hell. For every creature, animal, or bird, reptile, or fish is tamed and has been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who are made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? He should show his works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't brag and lie in defiance of the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every kind of evil. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, without favouritism and hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And there we end, day 323. Day 324. And today we finish off the rest of the book of James before going back into Acts. And we start off James at James chapter 4 verse 1 through to the end of the book. What is the source of the wars and the fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly, so that you may spend it on your desires for pleasure. Adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Or do you think it's without reason the scripture says that the spirit he has caused to live in us yearns jealously? But he gives greater grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded people. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Don't criticise one another, brothers. He who criticises a brother or judges his brother criticises the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbour? Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city, and spend a year there and do business and make profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are a bit of smoke that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So for the person who knows to do good and doesn't do it, it is a sin. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth is ruined, your clothes are moth-eaten, your silver and gold are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. 
You stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who reaped your fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived luxuriously in the land and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous man. He does not resist you. Therefore, brothers, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it reaches the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome from the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any or other oath. Your yes must be yes and your no must be no, so that you won't fall under judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. My brothers, if any among you strays from the truth, and someone turns him back, he should know that whoever turns a sinner from the error, error of his way will save his life from death and cover a multitude of sins. And there we finish James, and we go back into Acts chapter 12, verse 3. And we read through to chapter 13, verse 13, for the rest of today. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the days of unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. On the night before Herod was to bring him out for execution, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, Quick, get up! Then the chains fell off his wrists. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals. And he did so. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed, and he did not know that what took place through the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and immediately the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp, and from all that the Jewish people expected. When he realised this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door in the gateway and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognised Peter's voice and because of her joy she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gateway. They're crazy, they told her, but she kept insisting that it was true. Then they said it's his angel. 
Peter, however, kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astounded. Motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he explained to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Report these things to James and the brothers, he said. Then he departed and went to a different place. At daylight there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been very angry with the Tyrians and Sidonians. Together they presented themselves before him, and having won over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, they asked for peace, because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. So on an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a public address to them. The populace began to shout, It's the voice of a god and not of a man. At once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God and he became infected with worms and died. Then God's message flourished and multiplied and Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem after they had completed their relief mission on which they took John Mark. In the local church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius the Cyrenian, Manaen, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to. Then, after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they came down to Seleucia, and from there they were sealed to Cyprus. Arriving in Salamis, they proclaimed God's message in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear God's message. But Elamus, the sorcerer, which is how his name is translated, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at the sorcerer and said, You son of the devil, full of all deceit and all fraud, enemy of all righteousness. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. Suddenly a mist and darkness fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul, seeing what had happened, believed and was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphyla, John, however, left them and went back to Jerusalem. And there we end, day 324. Day 325, and we continue through Acts, with just a little bit of Galatians thrown in at the end of the day. But we begin at Acts chapter 13, verse 14. They continued their journey from Perga and reached Antioch in Pisida. On the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any message of encouragement for the people, you can speak. Then standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and spoke, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our forefathers, exalted the people during their stay in the land of Egypt, and led them out of it with a mighty arm. And for about forty years he put up with them in the desert, Then, after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave their land to them as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. 
After this he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king, of whom he testified, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will carry out all my will. From this man's descendants, according to the promise, God brought the Saviour Jesus to Israel. Before he came to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Then, as John was completing his life work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not the one, but look, someone is coming after me, and I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers, sons of Abraham's race, and those among you who fear God, the message of this salvation has been sent to us. For the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers, since they did not recognize him or the voices of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled their words by condemning him. Though they found no grounds for the death penalty, they asked Pilate to have him killed. When they had fulfilled all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our forefathers. God has fulfilled this to us with their children, by raising up Jesus, as is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have become your father. Since he raised him from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will grant you the faithful covenant blessings made to David. Therefore he also says in another passage, You will not allow your holy one to see decay. For David, after serving his own generation in God's plan, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers and decayed, but the one whom God raised up did not decay. Therefore let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you, and everyone who believes in him is justified from everything which you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. So beware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away, because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. As they were leaving, they begged that these matters be presented to them the following Sabbath. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and persuading them to continue in the grace of God. The following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the message of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to oppose what Paul was saying by insulting him. Then Paul and Barnabas boldly said, it was necessary that God's message be spoken to you first. But since you reject it, and consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have appointed you as a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and glorified the message of the Lord, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. So the message of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the religious woman of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. But shaking the dust of their feet against them, they proceeded to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. The same thing happened in Iconium. They entered the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against the brothers.
So they stayed there for some time and spoke boldly in reliance on the Lord who testified to the message of his grace by granting that signs and wonders be performed through them. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to assault and stone them, they found out about it and fled to the Lysonian towns named Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding countryside, and there they kept evangelising. In Lystra, a man without strength in his feet, lame from birth and who had never walked, sat and heard Paul speaking. After observing him closely and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet, and he jumped up and started to walk around. When the crowd saw that Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the form of men. And they started to call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the main speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought oxen and garlands to the gates. He, with the crowds, intended to offer sacrifice. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing these things? We are men also with the same nature as you, and we are proclaiming good news to you, that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In past generations he allowed all the nations to go their own way, although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did good, giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, and satisfying your hearts with food and happiness. Even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they had won over the crowds and stoned Paul, they dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. After the disciples surrounded him, he got up and went into the town, The next day he left with Barnabas for Derbe. After they had evangelised that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the hearts of the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them, It is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, After they spoke the message in Perga, they went down to Atalai. From there they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been entrusted to the grace of God for the work they had completed. After they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they spent a considerable time with the disciples. Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. But after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, they arranged for Paul and Barnabas and some others of them to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem concerning this controversy. When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, explaining in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they created great joy among all the brothers. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers from the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Then the apostles and the elders assembled to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, 
that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them by giving the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Why then are you now testing God by putting on the disciples' necks a yoke that neither our forefathers nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way they are. Then the whole assembly fell silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul describing all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Then we finish today with this part from Galatians chapter 2, verse 7 to 10. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. For he who was at work with Peter in the apostleship to the circumcised was also at work with me among the Gentiles. When James, Cephas and John, recognised as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I made every effort to do. And there we end, day 325. Day 326, and we continue through Acts, reading from Acts chapter 15, verse 13, through to chapter 7, verse 17, verse 15. And again, we dip into Galatians as part of today. Well, we begin at chapter 15, verse 13. After they stopped speaking, James responded, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this, as it is written, After these things I will return and rebuild David's tent which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and will set it up again, so that those who are left of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who does these things which have been known from long ago. Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those who turn to God from among the Gentiles, but instead we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, for eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. For since ancient times Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, and he has read aloud in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to select men from among them and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, both leading men among the brothers. They wrote this letter to be delivered by them. From the apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the brothers from among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Because we have heard that some to whom we gave no authorization went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts, we have unanimously decided to select men and send them to you, along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we have sent Judas and Silas, who will personally report the same things by word of mouth, for it was the Holy Spirit's decision, and ours, to put no greater burden on you than these necessary things, that you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell. Then, being sent off, they went down to Antioch, and after gathering the assembly, they delivered the letter. When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. 
Both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and strengthened them with a long message. After spending some time there, they were sent back in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch teaching and proclaiming the message of the Lord. And then into Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he used to eat with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, If you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? And back into Acts chapter 15 verse 36. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers in every town where we have preached the message of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John along John Mark, but Paul did not think it appropriate to take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to do the work. There was such a sharp disagreement that they parted company and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. Then Paul chose Silas and departed, after being commended to the grace of the Lord by the brothers. He travelled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Then he went on to Derbe and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they travelled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and were prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in the province of Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So bypassing Mysia, they came down to Troas. During the night a vision appeared to Paul. A Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, Cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to evangelise them. Then setting sail from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, the next day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony which is a leading city of that district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for a number of days. On the Sabbath day we went outside the city gate by the river where we thought there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the woman gathered there. A woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Tharatara, who worshipped God, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul. After she and her household were baptised, she urged us, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit of prediction and made a large profit from for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men are the slaves of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. But Paul was greatly aggravated and turning to the spirit said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. When her owners saw that their hope of profit was gone, 
They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. After bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. Then the mob joined in the attack against them and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself because all of us are here. Then the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away he and all his family were baptised. He brought them up into his house, set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had believed God with his entire household. When daylight came, the chief magistrate sent the police to say, Release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul. The magistrates have sent orders for you to be released, so come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They beat us in public without a trial, although we are Roman citizens and threw us in jail. And now are they going to smuggle us out secretly? Certainly not. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. Then the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came and apologised to them, and escorting them out, they urged them to leave town. After leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house, where they saw and encouraged the brothers and departed. Then they travelled through Amphilus and Apollonia, and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went to them and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and showing that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, This is the Messiah Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you. Then some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a great number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous, and when they had brought together some scoundrels from the marketplace and formed a mob, they set the city in an uproar. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has received them as guests. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The Jews stirred up the crowd and the city officials who heard these things. So taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas off to Beroa. On arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, since they welcomed the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Consequently, many of them believed, including a number of the prominent Greek women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica found out that God's message had been proclaimed by Paul at Beroa, 
They came there too, agitating and disturbing the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul away to go to the sea, but Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. And there we end, day 326. Day 327, and we continue through Acts, and then also into First Thessalonians, and hopefully you'll hear me through the newspaper being ripped to pieces in the background, um, but we begin at Acts chapter 17, verses 16, through to chapter 18, verse 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was troubled within him, and he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshipped God, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Then also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers argued with him. Some said, what is this pseudo-intellectual trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities, because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, may we learn about this new teaching you're speaking of? For what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these ideas mean. Now all the Athenians and their foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the whole world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nation of men to live all over the earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live, so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, and even some of your own poets have said, For we also are his offspring. Being God's offspring, then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has set a day on which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him, but others said, We will hear you about this again. So Paul went out from their presence. However, some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysus the Areopagite, a woman named Maris, and others with them. After this he left from Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jewish man named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and being of the same occupation, stayed with them and worked, for they were tent-makers by trade. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with preaching the message, and solemnly testified to the Jews that the Messiah is Jesus. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and told them, your blood is on your own heads, I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. So he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshipper of God whose house was next door to the synagogue. 
Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed the Lord along with his whole household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptised. Then the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. And he stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. While Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the judge's bench. This man, they said, persuades people to worship God contrary to the law. And as Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of a crime or of moral evil, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you Jews. But if these are questions about words, names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I don't want to be a judge of such things. So he drove them from the judge's bench. Then they all seized Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the judge's bench. But none of these things concerned Gallio. Then we read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 1 through to chapter 3 verse 13. Paul, Sinvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always thank God for all of you, remembering you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work of faith, labour of love and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing your election, brothers loved by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with much assurance. You know what kind of men we were among you for your benefit, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with this joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out, so we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our visit with you was not without result, on the contrary, after we had previously suffered and been outrageously treated in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our extortion didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but rather God who examines our hearts. For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives, God is our witness, and we didn't seek glory from people either from you or from others. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you, as a nursing mother nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labour and hardship, brothers, Working night and day so that we would not burden any of you, we preached God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Also, this is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the message about God that you heard from us, 
You welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the message of God which also works effectively in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, since you have also suffered the same things from people of your own country, just as they did from the Jews. They killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and persecuted us. They displease God and are hostile to everyone, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. As a result, they are always adding to the number of their sins, and wrath has overtaken them completely. But as for us, brothers, after we were forced to leave you for a short time, in person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. So we wanted to come again to you, even I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith, so that no one will be shaken by these persecutions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. In fact, when we were with you, we told you previously that we were going to suffer persecution, and as you know, it happened. For this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you, and that our labour might be for nothing. But now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love, and that you always have good memories of us, wanting to see us as we also want to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you through your faith. For now we live, if you stand firm in the Lord. How we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience because of you before our God, as we pray earnestly night and day to see you face to face, and to complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we also do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Amen. And there we end, day 327. Day 328, and we continue to finish off First Thessalonians and also Second Thessalonians before just dipping into Acts at the end. But we begin at First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, through to the end. Finally then, brothers, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you must walk and please God, as you are doing, do so even more. For you know what commands we give you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, so that each of you knows how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honour, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of all these offences, as we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to sanctification. Therefore the person who rejects this does not reject man, but God who also gives you his Holy Spirit. About brotherly love you don't need me to write to you, because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers, to do so even more, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, 
so that you may walk properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. We do not want you to become uninformed, brothers, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. For we say this to you by a revelation from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore encourage one another with these words. About the times and the seasons, brothers, you do not need anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction comes on them, like labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in the dark, so that this day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day, we're not of the night or of darkness. So then we must not sleep like the rest, but we must stay awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we are of the day, we must be sober and put the armour of faith and love on our chests, and put on a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Now we ask you, brothers, to give recognition to those who labour among you, and lead you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we exhort you, brothers, warn those who are lazy, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone. But always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your spirit, soul and body be kept sound and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, but also will do it. Brothers, pray for us also. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Then we read the whole of Second Thessalonians from chapter 1 verse 1 through to chapter 3 verse 18. Paul, Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We must always thank God for you, brothers, which is fitting, since your faith is flourishing and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore we ourselves boast about you among God's churches, about your endurance and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions you endure. It is a clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom, for which you are also are suffering, since it is righteous for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to reward with rest you who are afflicted along with us. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels, 
taking vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of everlasting destruction away from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. In that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be admired by all those who have believed, because our testimony among you was believed. And in view of this, we always pray for you that our God will consider you worthy of his calling and will, by his power, fulfil every desire for goodness and the work of faith, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be easily upset in mind or troubled, either by a spirit or by a message or by a letter as if from us, alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship, so that he sits in God's sanctuary, publicising that he himself is God. Don't you remember that when I was still with you I told you about this, and you know what currently restrains him, so that he will be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working, with all kinds of false miracles, signs and wonders, and with every unrighteous deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth in order to be saved. For this reason God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe what is false, so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth but enjoyed unrighteousness. But we must always thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught, either by our message or by our letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. Finally, pray for us, brothers, that the Lord's message may spread rapidly and be honoured, just as it was with you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do what we command, May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother who walks irresponsibly and not according to the tradition received from us. For you yourselves know how you must imitate us. We were not irresponsible among you. We did not eat anyone's bread free of charge. Instead, we laboured and toiled, working night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. It is not that we don't have the right to support, but we did it to make ourselves an example to you, so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who walk irresponsibly, not working at all, but interfering with the work of others. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ that quietly working they may eat their own bread, 
Brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take note of that person. Don't associate with him so that he may be ashamed. Yet don't treat him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with all of you. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. This is a sign in every letter. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. And then we read Acts chapter 18, verse 18 to 22 to finish today. So Paul, having stayed on for many days, said goodbye to the brothers and sailed away to Syria. Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He shaved his head at Sixray because he had taken a vow. When they reached Ephesus, he left them there, and he himself entered the synagogue and engaged in discussion with the Jews. And though they asked him to stay for a longer time, he declined, but said goodbye and stated, I'll come back to you again if God wills. Then he set sail from Ephesus. On landing at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. And there we finish day 328. Day 329, and we continue through Acts from chapter 18, verse 23, to chapter 19, verse 41, before going into 1 Corinthians, a couple of chapters of 1 Corinthians. But we begin at Acts chapter 18, verse 23. He set out travelling through one place after another in the Galatian territory in Phygara, strengthening all the disciples. A Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was powerful in the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught the things about Jesus accurately, although he knew only John's baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him home and explained the way of God to him more accurately. When he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers wrote to the disciples urging them to welcome him. After he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul travelled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then with what baptism were you baptised, he asked them. With John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptised with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speak with other languages and to prophesy. Now there were about twelve men in all. Then he entered the synagogue and spoke boldly of a period of over three months engaging in discussion and trying to persuade them about the things related to the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them and met separately with the disciples, conducting discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And this went on for two years, so that all the inhabitants of the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even face cloths or work aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists tempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. 
Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them all and prevailed against them, so that they ran out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Then fear fell on all of them and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way the Lord's message flourished and prevailed. When these events were over, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. After I've been there, he said, I must see Rome as well. So after sending two of those who assisted him, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, he himself stayed in the province of Asia for a while. During that time there was a major disturbance about the way, for a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. When he had assembled them, as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, Men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. You both see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost the whole province of Asia, this man Paul has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hands are not gods. So not only do we run a risk that our business might be discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised and her magnificence come to the verge of ruin, the very one whom the whole province of Asia and the world adore. When they had heard this, they were filled with rage and began to cry out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed all together into the amphitheatre, dragging along Gaius and Articus, Macedonians who were Paul's travelling companions. Though Paul wanted to go in before the people, the disciples did not let him. Even some of the provincial officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent word to him, pleading with him not to take a chance by going into the amphitheatre. Meanwhile, some were shouting one thing and some another, because the assembly was in confusion and most of them did not know why they had come together. Then some of the crowd gave Alexander advice when the Jews pushed him to the front. So motioning with his hand, Alexander wanted to make his defence to the people. But when they recognised that he was a Jew, a united cry went up from all of them for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. However, when the city clerk had calmed down the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is a temple guardian of the great Artemis, and of the image that fell from heaven? Therefore, since these things are undeniable, you must keep calm and not do anything rash, for you have brought these men here who are not temple robbers or blasphemers of our goddess. So if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a case against anyone, the courts are in session, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you want something else, it must be decided in a legal assembly. In fact, we run a risk of being charged with rioting for what happened today, since there is no justification that we can give as a reason for this disorderly gathering. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. And then we read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 1 through to chapter 2 verse 16. Paul called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will and our brother Sosthenes to God's church at Corinth to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called as saints 
with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of God's grace given to you in Christ Jesus, that by him you were made rich in everything, in all speaking and all knowledge, as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I urge you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all say the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers, by members of Chloe's household, that there are quarrels among you. What I am saying is this. Each of you says, I'm with Paul, or I'm with Apollos, or I'm with Cephas, or I'm with Christ. Is Christ divided? Was it Paul who was crucified for you? Or were you baptised in Paul's name? I thank God that I baptised none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you had been baptised in my name. I did, in fact, baptise the house of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't know if I baptised anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel. Not with clever words, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. For to those who are perishing, the message of the cross is foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is God's power. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the understanding of the experts. Where is the philosopher? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of the message preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Brothers, consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen the world's foolish things to shame the wise, and God has chosen the world's weak things to shame the strong. God has chosen the world's insignificant and despised things, the things viewed as nothing, so he might bring to nothing the things that are viewed as something, so that no one can boast in his presence. But from him you are in Christ Jesus, who for us became wisdom from God, as well as righteousness, sanctification and redemption, in order that, as it is written, the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith might not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. However, among the mature we do speak a wisdom, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, which God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew it, for if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, What no eye has seen and no ear has heard, 
and what has never come into a man's heart is what God prepared for those who love him. My God has revealed them to us by the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the concerns of a man except the Spirit of the man that is in him? In the same way, no one knows the concerns of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, in order to know what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the natural man does not welcome what comes from God's Spirit, because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to know it, since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, yet he himself cannot be evaluated for anyone, for who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And there we end, day 329 and week 47.